Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop, where each week and every week we deconstruct champagne into its constituent grapes and drink one of them. Yes, we are talking about a wine that could be likened to a 1960s British rock band. It's Deep Purple. We're talking Pinot Noir. You could also liken it to a crime movie. Very true. 1950s film noir. Undoubtedly. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. So, unlike a 1950s uh, crime flick, we are quite upbeat here at a Good Drop podcast. Yes, that's right. And there is nothing in black and white. We are coming to you in full colour. Full colour? It's the 1960s. (laughs) And colour is here. Of course, we're going back well before the 1960s for the origins of Pinot Noir, which is actually one of the oldest grape varieties. Mm. And has been around, they say, since the first century AD. Or first century CE, depending on which which letters are your favorite. Yes. <laughs> very true. Very true. So Pinot Noir is a great red wine grape variety of the species Vitis vinifera. Uh, this species encompasses quite a few other varieties like the Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm. And it is, in fact, a variety that has been crossbred and turned into a number, enormous number, almost unmentionable number of other grape varieties. Mm. So I won't mention it. Unmentionable. Unmentionable. Too many. <laughs> Too many to talk about. But a lot. A yeah. lot. Yeah, but the the name is derived from the French words for pine and black. The word pine alludes to the grape variety having tightly clustered pine cone-shaped bunches of fruit. And the noir, of course, being meaning black, which is why in Italy the varietal is known as pino nero. Hmm. Nero being Italian for black. There are legends, though. Let's get into the legends, because we like the legends. There are legends of how this wine came to be in the Burgundy region of France, because that is apparently where it began. Mm. And one legend says that it arrived with the Odui tribe during their invasions of Lombardy and Italy. But another legend tells of it arriving with the Romans and yet another says that the Romans got there and found it already growing and went, hey, good stuff, and started (laughs) using it. But either way, the barbarian invaders drove the Romans from the region, whether they took it there, found it there, or it went there by other means, and the Catholic Church became the custodians of Pinot Noir. And the monks then used it for their sacraments, which gave it appeal amongst the community. And they improved that varietal through careful vineyard practices. And by the 6th century, most of Burgundy was actually divided into church-owned vineyards. 
but the first documented mention of Pinot Noir in Burgundy didn't actually occur until 1345. Which is quite, which is, you know, 1300 years since 1 CE. Yeah. And the monks took the grape from that area and began growing it in the Rhinac region around 1470. And it's been grown there ever since, but that's unrelated. We have to come back to France to continue the story of Pinot Noir because <laughs> France is where it all happens. Yeah. And the French Revolution is where it really all happened, where the people said to the church, you can't own our wine anymore. As they stripped things away from the church, they stripped things away from the government, and they took every single church-owned vineyard and gave it to local families, which began the practices of independently owned and run vineyards that continue in that area to this day. Hmm. So there's a bunch of vineyard-owning families who... Nicked it from the church. Nicked it from the church, exactly. <laughs> they they owe how wealthy they are now and how well-known they are as wine-producing families to being given those vineyards during the revolution. Amazing. Amazing. Um, there is some uh, specu- There used to be some speculation in regards to which, which, like, what kind of strain the Pinot Noir grape came from. Uh, one thought was that it was a uh, mutation of the Pinot Meunier variety, um, but it turns out that it's actually the other way around, and the Pinot Meunier is a chimera, uh, chimerical mutation uh, of the Pinot Noir. Which actually makes perfect sense. I mean, that all of the different mutations of Pinot Noir kind of make sense. When you look at how much of a pain in the ass Pinot Noir is to grow. Yeah. Because Pinot Noir does not want to stay as Pinot Noir. And a parent plant can be planted and then begin producing fruit with a different size, consistency, color, and flavor. Completely different. Completely different. So you can like take a cutting and plant it off to somewhere else where it should then produce the same plant. You'd think so, wouldn't you? But it doesn't. <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> so <laughs> Pinot Noir, the uh, troublemaker of the, of the grape industry... Basically, yeah. And as if that wasn't enough, it is also one of the most susceptible varieties to pretty much every kind of disease, fungus, animal, anything that can stop a grape or vine from growing properly. Mm. And it's also immensely susceptible to cold, but also immensely susceptible to heat. And it's a young grape, so you can't, it's, it has to be picked young. But if you pick it before it matures too fully, that's a problem. But if you let it over-mature, then the that's grapes dry and shrivel up and lose all their flavor. So there's a very small window <laughs> during which you can pick it. And if somehow, while waiting for that window, there's a little bit of spring frost, you've basically lost your entire crop. Yeah. But on the, other, on the flip side, if you nail that particular... If you nail getting that grape variety right, the the wines that can be produced from it are magnificent. Everything from 
uh, fruit notes to uh, spicy notes, uh, wood, cinnamon, um, many, many, many more. It's fantastic. It tastes great. It's refreshing for a red. Um, I suppose it's light on hangover, light on hangover juice as well. Yeah, the, and the so the congeners. I mean, the quality of the wines produced by this grape are the reason why so many viniculturalists suck it up with how hard it is yeah. to grow the bloody thing <laughs> <laughs> to do it anyway. Sort of explains why the Pinot Noir was is quite expensive. Yeah, because like, there's <laughs> very few cheap Pinot Noirs at the bottle shop, mm, and yeah, because it's it's a challenge. Yeah, they're great though. Well. Supposedly, we're about to find out whether this one's great. This one's yes. Uh, do you have any more history before we taste this? Um, so I have a little bit, not about history, but about tasting notes based on the age of the wine. Okay, yeah, let's let's read that because yeah. this is a 2018. So keep that in mind when Mickle describes the tasting. Yes. Notes. So young Pinot Noir has generally got simple fruity characteristics including cherry, plum, raspberry, and strawberry. And as it ages, it develops the complex flavors of chocolate, earthiness, smoke, and truffles. Mm. Now, this one being about two and a half, two to two and a half years old, probably, well, it's on the younger side. So I would expect it will be more fruity. And, of course, those notes that generally appear across all of it, like the subtle spiciness and whatnot, we would expect to see either way. But certainly from the smell, the nose definitely has the fruitiness. So the so what we have is the uh the people's Pinot Noir from Central Otago from New Zealand. From New Zealand. Mm. It is a a Marlborough region Pinot Noir. So it's supposed to be one of the best in the world. Well, one of the, the Pinot Noir regions that is the best in the world. Yes, and undoubtedly for, I would imagine, good reason, because the majority of places where it is grown, it is grown there because of very specific characteristics mm. of the area. And because it's slightly easier than other regions. Yeah, exactly. There are, <laughs> because it's, it's a pain to grow anyway, so yeah. you want to grow it where it does the best. Yeah, so we have from... The U.S. We have uh, Willamette Valley of Oregon, the Carneros Central Coast, and Russian River ABAs of California. Uh, in South Africa, we have the Elgin and Walker Bay right wine regions. In Australia, we have the Mornington Peninsula, Adelaide Hills, Great Southern Tasmania, and Yarra Valley in Australia. I nearly bought a Tasmanian Pinot Noir instead. Mm. This close, but uh, this one had an award sticker on, on the um, price tag, so right. And uh, undoubtedly, there would be a very real risk of frost in Tasmania, mm. so they must have some real grief down there. Yeah, it does get frosty. Uh, so in Tasmania, we have the central Otago, Martinborough, and Marlborough regions, and um. You're going to want to say that again within New Zealand. Uh, and in New Zealand, we have the Central Otago, Martinborough, and Marlborough wine regions. Uh, and Pinot Noir 
is the um, yeah Pinot Noir being about when um when they make Pinot Noir for Champagne they generally don't make it the same way as for drinking straight. Yeah, that they're intent on blending it from the word go, so yeah. they don't. So they have a different criteria, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. They don't need to get the same out of it. Mm. So let's taste, and then I will go into a little more detail about the growing conditions. Sounds good to me. Cheers. Cheers. That clink is driving me nuts. But yeah, so the the nose, as I said before, it is quite fruity. Wow, it really is. So much, so many uh, berries and cherries. Yeah, it's almost overwhelming the variety of berry notes that you get out of it. What does it say on the bottle? The people's wine handcrafted inside and out. That's why we've put art on the label. And our winemakers have crafted art inside the bottle too. This graceful central Otago Pinot Noir exhibits dark berry fruit and plum aromas. That's the other flavor. Ah. Uh, plum aromas with hints of toasty oak notes. A smooth yet powerful wine with a rich and velvety palate, weight, and length. Would you agree with that? Because you've just tasted it. <laughs> I've just tasted it, and they're not wrong about the smooth but powerful. Wow, that's really nice. Yeah. It's fruity and has a subtleness to it, but it's strong and spicy. And it, it, it's... And yeah, there's toast. Yeah, there's, there's toast. It's almost... The flavor is almost a contradiction of itself. And it's very definitely a red. It has a lot of those... A lot of... What's the I'm looking for? It's almost a bit of caramel in there too. Mm. But I think I found my new favorite red wine. This is this is really nice. It's uh, features. It has a lot of the features you expect from a red. Mm. Bit of tannin. It's, yeah, it's a bit tannic. It's full-bodied but not overly so. Mm. And yeah, fruity, slightly fleshy mouthfeel, but not to the same sort of level as you'd get with a Cab Sauvage or a Shiraz. Or even a Tempranillo, which tends to be more on the fruitier end. Yeah, and very soft, subtle aftertaste. But but lots of flavor when you've got it in your mouth. Oh, yeah. Wow. Did I pick all right, Mickle? I believe you did. Because <laughs> I have a lot of anxiety when I pick wine for you to taste. <laughs> yes. Because you've got way more experience and your wine rack is huge. Isn't it like overflowing at the moment? Yeah, I've, I've got a few bottles on the ground next to it. Yeah. Just have to drink more. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, I get a bit of... I get a bit nervous when I'm picking a wine because I I know how much more experience you have over me and I worry that I'm going to pick a bad one. Well, clearly you are getting better at it. <laughs> yeah. So, dear listeners, keep listening to our episodes and you too will get better at picking wine. 
Yeah. Well, listen to our wine episodes and you'll get better. Yeah. Well, that that's the key really, wasn't it? Yeah. All those wine episodes. Oh, there's a few now. There is definitely a few. Uh, so what we while we're tasting it, we should probably talk about pairings. Oh yes, because this is, you know, being a light, lightish red, you'd pair it with lightish flavored uh, meats and cheeses. So uh, smoked camembert is apparent is apparently quite high on the list of very good pairings, mm, which uh, makes very good sense. And I would say if you've got a slightly more mature wine, one that has more of the smoky truffle flavors, that might not be such a good pairing. Mm. But that at that point you might just pair it with a brie. Yeah. Uh, you, you've got those stronger flavors coming from the wine, so you can be more subtle on the cheese side. Mm. Yeah, think of those uh, complementing flavors as opposed to contradictory flavors. Yeah, not that contradictory flavors don't also work. Like, I feel that this particular glass would probably go quite well with a Thai laksa. Yes. Well, on the list from uh, Vine Pair, they were saying that uh, mild mild Thai food or lightly spicy Thai food is um, is a good pairing for this particular wine. Along with along with things like uh, pan fried salmon or quail and uh, mushroom risotto. But according to quite a few different sources that I looked at, the best pairing for Pinot Noir is duck. Interesting. Hmm. It it makes sense. Duck has such strong but subtle flavours. Yeah, it's a bit gamey. It's a bit chickeny, I suppose. Mm, But Um, there's there's nuance there that you don't find in any other poultry. Correct. And this and this wine is the same. There's nuance there. There's particular flavors there that you wouldn't find in other uh, stronger red varieties, stronger flavored red varieties. Yeah, and it undoubtedly wouldn't overpower the more subtle flavors from the duck. Mm. I I did consider buying some yeah. duck just for the episode. <laughs> so what? What were you going to talk about? Yeah, so uh, let's talk about dirt. Because (laughs) that actually makes a big difference. We're not just dirt, but the the key parts about the region and the reason why Burgundy remains the home to Pinot Noir. Mm. Because in Burgundy, there is a 30-mile-long, two-mile-wide stretch of land known as the Côte d'Or or Slope of Gold. And it is consistently producing some of Europe's finest Pinot Noirs. And that strip has chalky, well-drained soil, good sunlight exposure with above-average temperatures for the region, and gentle slopes, which give it good drainage and make it ideal for growing Pinot grapes. And all the regions that you named earlier Mm. have those same features which is why they also produce very good Pinot Noir. Mm. There's a particular word for... Oh, terroir. 
is the a word to describe the 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 dirt, the earth, the earthy, earthly uh, perks of the region. My brain's not firing on all cylinders today. Mm. I don't know why. One of those days. Yep. But yeah, the terroir is the word the uh, winemakers use to describe features. The uh, features of the particular location. So the dirt, the minerals, or the dirt composition, including minerals and nutrients and whatnot, the the temperature, the climate, all all that jazz. Yeah, and the natural lay of the land. Mm. Because some vines want something flat and some of them need to drain. Mm. And because this one is inclined to get fungus, if there's even the slightest hint of moisture, yeah, it needs good drainage. Yeah, you breathe on these too heavily and they'll grow mold. <laughs> so you, you named off a few regions, but I yes. just want to list off all the countries that grow this. Because yep. there's actually quite a lot. Yeah. Well, the the ones I mentioned were some of the were the regions that have won the most awards recently. Yeah, the the, the key regions. But the it's not, um, not to discount the other. Oh no, ones not at all. But yeah, so the countries. So I'm not going to go into all the regions. That would be yep. ludicrous. There's I'll just few. list off all the countries where it grows, which is Australia, obviously, Algeria, Argentina, Austria, Brazil, Canada, Czechoslovakia. England, Germany, Ooh, Czechoslovakia. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, England, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Italy, Mexico, New Zealand obviously. Yep. Switzerland, America, Yugoslavia, and of course France. And the United States. I said that, the US. Oh. Yes. And yeah, yet sorry. France because Burgundy is not the only part of France where it grows, I think. But it might be. But Burgundy does a lot of wine. Oh, yeah. They do a yeah. lot of wine. <laughs> we, I think we could do a whole episode on Burgundy specifically. Specifically, yeah. What do you reckon? Add it to the list? Why not? Why not? So, as we are drawing to the towards the end of the episode, I have to ask you, Mikkel, how many bottle caps would you rate the people's Pinot Noir from Central Otago? Otago, New Zealand. This is a 2018 Pinot Noir. Sustainably grown, apparently, according to the label on the back. Right. Hmm. I suppose yeah. that, that gets a couple of points. Yeah, I would probably, I think around a seven, seven and a half. Really? That low? Because it's, well, it's not low, low. I've, <laughs> I've, I don't think I've rated things, have I rated things lower than that? Not much. Not I think much. six has been about as low as you go. Yeah, six is as low as I go. Yeah, well, that, that's a nice mid-high point. But I think this one is probably a little young at the moment. Right. Like, I think we opened it a little early, so I can't really judge it, I suppose, fairly. Okay. Because I feel like we opened it a little early, but I've definitely had nicer Pinot Noirs. Right. Not saying this one is bad, but I've had better. Okay. It's a nice Pinot Noir, <laughs> but there are nicer Pinot Noirs. That's, that's all I'm saying. Right. Uh, I would have given this an eight and a half. But yeah, uh, now that you mention it, it does taste a little young. There's not a terribly good amount of complexity there yet. Yeah, it's, it's pleasant, it's sweet, it's fruity, yeah. but it's not... 
Mm. Yeah, it's not overly complex. The flavors aren't mellow. Yeah, there's it's yeah, smooth. there's a little bit of bite there. Yeah. Just a hint of a bite. It's still pretty smooth. Oh yeah. Um but yeah, it could could have been better. And the divot at the bottom of the bottle says 2022. Yeah, uh, it suggests that it could have had a lot more time. Yeah. Mm. But we needed a episode a bottle for tonight. Yes, so. and to buy one that is older and ready to drink changes things immensely. It definitely changes the price immensely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I mean, there are some very nice quaffing wines out there if it's made in, for that purpose. Mm. But I don't think you see a lot of quaffing Pinot Noirs. Potentially not. Potentially not. There are Pinot Noirs that you can age for 40 years or more. Uh, but they tend to be very, very expensive. Oh, yeah. And the the complex flavors you would get out of that, you would definitely get the smoke and the truffle. and mm. That would be amazing. Yeah. That would be a nine and a half. <laughs> or a ten. Or a ten, maybe. Yeah. Mm. You don't know until you drink it. And right? I probably never will. Yeah. Because <laughs> none of the bottles I have will last that long. Mm-hmm. Can't imagine why. Um, But... As I said before, I think I found my new favorite varietal. So, I, I, I know I'm not a big fan of Shirazes and Malbecs, mm. um, but Tempranillos I really like, and this Pinot Noir is great. Yeah, you, you seem more drawn towards the fruitier varieties. Mm. And this definitely ticks the boxes. Sure does. So, yeah, this... This is why it has my eight and a half. Yes, so do remember, dear listeners, that if you try a wine and you don't like it, it may not be that you don't like wine. It may be that you don't like that wine. Yeah, try a few. Uh, Yeah, just basically pick a bunch at random (laughs) and see what sticks. Yeah, listen to all our episodes and then try and find something that's probably good based on what you've learned. Yeah, and like we've said before... Having it with food is going to help with finding a wine you like because the food, whatever you eat with it, is going to enhance the good flavors. Yeah, if you pair it well, the food will enhance the wine and the wine will enhance the food. Yeah. And the whole experience will be more enjoyable. Even so, if you don't like the wine, it's still not going to taste that good. Oh, yeah. So that's why I'm recommending... But, like, it may not taste that good, but it will still be easier to drink than straight, than just by itself. Yes, and if you really dislike the wine, get a food that has a flavor that totally overpowers it. I mean, good luck with a Malbec. Yeah, well, true. (laughs) Malbec is very strong, but I like it. You do you, my friend. Yes. You do you. Uh, So if you liked what you heard, everybody, be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. We are a good drop all about alcohol on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and many more. You can also find us on the socials, Facebook and Instagram as a good drop podcast. Yep. And we also have a good old fashioned website, agooddrop.com.au, where you can check out our backlog of 140 plus previous episodes and if you want to uh, send us an email with your favorite wine or if you have something if you have a suggestion of what we should pair this Pinot Noir with 
send us an email to agooddrop at gmail.com. That's right. And be sure to tune in next time when we get back to basics again. Again. (laughs) And revisit Brandy Mm. to let you know how to enjoy your Brandy better. Yeah, you can use it with more than just cooking. That's right. Believe it or not. I mean, I use Brandy mostly for just cooking and mulled wine, but it's so much more.